Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya, the Three Muslims podcast. Today we're joined with a very interesting guest, Brother Ali. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi. How you guys doing? Good. Alhamdulillah, bro. To begin, do you mind showing us your shirt today? Well, the super halal vibes. Inshallah, super halal vibes. Hey, Allah. <laughs> Keeping it halal, bro. Just like always, alhamdulillah. Always, always, man. I wear this in the gym every time I go, man. This is my workout shirt. So, yeah. bro, that's that's free dollar, bro. Mashallah. Exactly. But I got I got people in the in like the gym. They're like, "Salam alaikum, Muslims," and other people. They're like, "What is what is halal? What is super halal vibe?" So, yeah, it's a dollar. Yeah. Mashallah. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, shameless plug right now. This is a brother's brand, so check it out. Inshallah. He did not ask me to do this. I did it because I like the brand, mashallah. I like the I like the vibes, you know, super halal vibes. Jazakallah khair to Sister Juwaria for becoming a member. And wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, hit that like button. Jazakallah khair. So to begin here, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Brother Ali, you are a revert, correct? I am. Masha 30 Allah. years ago. 30 years, subhanAllah. So let's start from the beginning. What was your first initial thought on Islam, if you knew anything about it? Did this change over time? And how were you introduced to Islam? Well, growing up a Christian for the first 19 years of my life, I didn't know anything about Islam. As a matter of fact, when uh, the person inside of prison uh, introduced me to Islam, he asked me, what do you know about Islam? And I even told him, I remember saying, uh, well, you're going to have to say that in English because I don't know what that, that word means. I had never heard about Islam, Allah, Muhammad, Quran, Muslim, nothing because i was raised in a you know an upper class white kind of bubble so i really didn't uh i wasn't exposed to it you know it was wednesday bible study friday youth night and sunday church so i was you know it was it was it was tunnel vision with christianity so yeah so you mentioned that you were in prison when the brother mentioned it to you correct yeah yeah unfortunately uh, it's up to you whether you want to talk about prison life and all of that. But my question in regards to life in prison in Islam is, do you notice any kind of change between the Muslims and kind of their brotherhood within prison, outside of prison? Do you think that there's a different vibe when it comes to it? Do you think it's stronger in prison? This is this is what I noticed as um, <clears throat> being a Muslim inside of prison is um, prison is respect based whether you're a christian whether you're a muslim or whatever prison is all about respect that is to say if you're you know you're six foot five you're muscle bound and you step on somebody's toe that's you know five foot five and you know 150 pounds that big guy is going to say hey man my bad my bad because in prison it doesn't matter how big you are it only takes this bit of a you know of a shank to go into somebody's neck i've seen people rolled up in the, in the, in the dryers, stabbed to death with sharpened toothbrush in their neck. You know, it's crazy. So um, as far as being Muslim in prison, I think that there's less distractions and I think there's less static to deal with um, and temptations. I think that in prison, we're all that we have. So we have to stick together. Right. Mm. And we're kind of all, some people are more Muslims, uh, most people are convert Muslims. The guy that led our prayer, he was born a Muslim. Mm. Uh, so we're all acclimating to our new dean. And most of us, like myself, are acclimating to prison. I've never been to jail a day in my life. Never mm. been arrested a day in my life before that. So, 
Yeah, I would say there's certain elements inside prison that would that would make you think that, yeah, brotherhood is more strong in prison. But you know, we're limited yeah. what we can do inside. One hundred. Bro, if you don't if you don't mind me asking, in your actual Reaver video that you made on your main yeah. channel, Maliki Click, did you mention why you went to prison or no? I did. Yeah, I'm an open book, man. If you guys want to get into it, I'm good. Bro, tell us anything you want to tell us about why you ended up in prison. So, I mean, do you want me to start from the beginning? Or... Yeah, go for it, bro. Okay, inshallah. So, um, so I mentioned in my revert video that you know I was born and raised a Christian for the first 19 years of my life. So, you know, it all started when my father got saved, or he he came to Jesus. <clears throat> my mother and father got a divorce very early on. So I did the back and forth thing from California to Oregon. So I remember in the summertime, he uh, pulled me to the side when I was visiting him. And he said, you know, son, I've, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm seven years old. I'm like, okay, whatever. When are we going to play catch? When are we going to go to the ball game? Like, I, I don't even know what you're, you're talking about. He said, well, you're going to know what I'm talking about when we go to church tonight. So we went to church and I see people, I, I walk in and people are clapping, people are singing, people are, you know, doing all this and people are crying and running up and down the aisle and speaking in tongues, some gibberish language. And as a seven-year-old child, that scared the hell out of me, man. I was, I actually ran out of the church seven years old. I was like, boom. You know, I, I just, I broke. I just dipped out of the church and my dad, asked, you know, what are you doing? You know, come back in the church. So that was my first exposure of his brand of Christianity. So <clears throat> I came to live with my father um, in California, and this is where I was born and raised. And I grew up, as I like to say, like a Christian Salafi. No, no, no disrespect to any Salafis out there, but it was strict. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't have girlfriends, uh, school, football, that's it, and, and church. Wednesday Bible study, Friday youth night, Sunday church. I mean, I was immersed inside of the Christian lifestyle. So it wasn't until I was 14 years old where I really started getting into Christianity. I really started reading the Bible. I really started to get into that lifestyle. You know, the Bible all the time. I was reading my Bible every day. <clears throat> so I went to... Wednesday Bible study. It's 14 years old. And I was just randomly reading. We have like a 30 minute time where we just read the Bible before uh, the, the, the preacher or the, the uh, youth minister starts his, his speech on whatever he's talking about that day. And so I look at one, one verse and it's talking about when it's from the Old Testament, I believe where Jacob is talking about, I have seen God. I have seen God, I know God, I this and that. And then I turned the page randomly and it says, no man could bear the sight of God. Nobody, no man, no being can see God. And I, and I, I raised my hand and I asked the Bible teacher or the, the youth minister, I said, can you, you know, and I'm 14 years old, you know, it's an honest question. Can you help me with this, this verse that I just read? See this verse right here in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about Jacob. You see this verse over here? Yeah. And he kind of looked at me like, so what's the problem? And I kind of looked up and I said, you don't see that as a contradiction in the Bible? 
here he's saying that he sees God in this verse, but no one can see God in the other verse. You don't see that as a contradiction. And he looked at me, he looked at the verses and he said, hmm, I never knew that that was in the Bible. And I looked at him like, bro, what? Like you're the you're the guy, man. You're 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 the you're the person that's supposed to be leading us and teaching us and explaining the Bible. And he just looked at me and he said, "You know, I don't know what to tell you, but all you have to do is have faith." And as a fourteen-year-old boy, I said, "No, no, I don't want to. I don't want to just have faith. I want to have faith based upon something." Uh, something that is authentic, something that is valid, something that is proven, something that is preserved. And so at, at 14 years old, religiously and spiritually, I checked out. I had had enough of Christianity. So I jumped through the hoops, like like I said in my video, like like many Muslim kids do. They're Muslim by name and they jump through the hoops. And by the way, Hidayah comes to not only non-Muslims, but born Muslims as well. Believe me, check the belief of your kids. Make sure that they, they even know why they're Muslim. You know, uh, because a lot of people, a lot of our kids, a lot of our Muslim kids, they jump through our hoops. I have seven kids, by the way, and they, they jump through the hoops, uh, the Islamic hoops to please us. But there's nothing here and there's nothing here. They're just, yeah, my name is Muhammad. Yeah, my, my name is Fayyad. I'm a, yeah, okay, yeah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. I don't eat pork. I fast in Ramadan. But there's no knowledge of aqidah. There's no belief. There's no hidayah that has actually entered their heart. So we have to be careful with that. So I did that. I jumped through the hoops. Wednesday Bible study, Friday youth night, Sunday church. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. Okay, done. Go back home. Do my thing. So I jumped through the hoops. And I move out and I'm on my own. I'm about 17 years old. <clears throat> I get in with the wrong crowd. Spiritually, nothing there. Uh, no moral compass whatsoever, none, zero. I was an animal, I was a savage. I was out there doing my thing. Um, living a life that I shouldn't have lived. So that ended up to me getting around gang members, bad people, you know, uh, substances that I shouldn't have been taking. And what led me to prison is I pulled an armed robbery with, with, with my friends. Now, looking back, I, I didn't even have, I, I mean, I had a job, I had money in the bank, I didn't need money. But I was so morally and spiritually bankrupt. I did it because I wanted to feel, I wanted the adrenaline rush. I wanted to know what it was like. I didn't care. I didn't give a damn about anything, anybody's life. I didn't care about my own life. So we pulled the armed robbery. Um, so after that, 24 hours later, police knock on our door. We're busted. We go to the county jail. Um, I never been arrested in my life. Never. No misdemeanors, no felonies, zero. So we get sentenced. I come into the county jail with robbery one, assault one, theft one. I'm looking at eight to 10 years. Since it was my first offense, 
I copped a plea deal, uh, and I got I got sentenced to 31 months in prison. So I'm things are changing for me. My my life has changed. I've I've really there's no turning back at this point in my life. Now, not only do they send me to prison, they send me to the worst prison that this that exists in the state of Washington. That is Walla Walla. Walla Walla State Penitentiary, a maximum security prison. And so here I am, 19-year-old kid, entering the entering jail for the first time, not jail, prison, the big house, for the first time. Um, so do, do you want me to go into the story from here or? By all uh, means. Okay. okay, so I enter prison and I'm just thinking, okay, what I'm gonna do here is, is survive, period. I've never been in a jail. So it, something about the prison system that a lot of Muslims don't know is everything is race-based, everything is segregated. So as soon as I get in, you know, there's a black guerrilla family, there's the, uh, the MA, the Mexican mafia, uh, there's the Aryan Brotherhood, there's a lot of groups in there. Any rule that exists on the outside doesn't, doesn't exist on the inside. You go by the convict code, no matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you've never been in trouble, you will program and you will do it the way that it is done in prison. So as soon as I get there, people look at my face, obviously I'm white. Aryan Brotherhood comes up to me and they take my, you know, my bunk and everything. Okay, you're with us, man. You're white, you're full white. Yeah, I'm white, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on. So they take my stuff to my cell and they said, here, look, here's some coffee, here's some cigarettes, here's some noodles and everything because that's currency inside of jail. So everybody takes care of their own people, right? Most of my, fin my most of my friends were were black. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, I didn't have any white friends at the time, and I was not racist, and I certainly was not a white supremacist. But you have to be around these elements. Well, again, this is prison. This is now no longer your life. You 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 can't you can't choice uh, choose whatever you want. So, anyways. That being said, I really didn't want to hang around these people. So I, I Sigma mailed it. Uh, you know, I, I just lone wolfed it, basically. Uh, I didn't want to be around the Aryan Brotherhood. Uh, I, I didn't care for any of the jailhouse politics or anything. So I walked the yard alone. Um, again, I thought I was a Christian. I really didn't care about Christianity, though, at the same time. Um, spiritually, morally bankrupt mad as hell. My life is changing. I'm just trying to take it all in. I remember waking up my first day in, in, uh, in prison and just opening my eyes and turning over in my bunk and looking, seeing that, oh my God, I'm in jail. And that feeling is, is, is really something where it hits hard. You can want anything so badly. You can want to be free, but it's, it's just not going to happen. And for somebody that's never been in jail, it's very strange. But it's something that you have to get used to. Anyway, so I, I, I do everything by myself. I'm doing 500 push-ups in, inside of my cell when we're on lockdown. 
when they do let us out to jail, uh, out to the yard, you know, I'm on the I'm on the the white weight weight pile with the white people because you just can't you can't mix with anybody else. I mean, even the guards won't allow it because they know that there's going to be a fight or something bad's going to happen. So I used to walk the track by myself and just think about life, think how I'm going to do better, think how to, and then simultaneously head on a swivel. Prison life is, you cannot relax for a second. You can't relax around your cellmate. My cellmate was in jail for double murder and a dope case. He killed two people and, and uh, sold dope. It was a, a dope deal gone wrong. So he had been in prison for eight years and had about 25 more years to go if he was good, right? If he programmed and he was good. This was my cellmate. You can't ever relax. It's you, you feel the tension, you hear the tension, you see the tension. Uh, you can never relax. Prison is exhausting on the, on the heart and on the mind. So I used to walk the track alone. And so as I walked the, tr walked the track, I noticed somebody is a, what I think is a white guy. He has a, he has a mustache that goes down, you know, those handlebar mustaches, no beard, just a long mustache. And I see him coming for me. He's, he's cut the track in half and he's coming towards me. And behind him, behind him is about five black guys. And I'm thinking they're heading straight to me. So I stop walking and yeah, they're heading straight for me. I'm like, okay, here we go. <sighs> okay, this is it. This is it. It's going to happen. I'm going to get, they're going to try to jump me. This is the, this is the chance. The only chance that I had to stand it for myself. I may not win, but Hey, everything's on the line. All the chips are in. I have to defend myself. So I stood my ground. And as they got about 10 feet away from me, I was like, you know, I got into like a, a fighting pose. I was like, what's up, man? What, what is it? And the guy in the front was like, whoa, no, 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 not like that. No, no, no. We're, he, and he said, oh yeah, I see how it looks. I, my apologies. I, I apologize about that, man. No, no, no. We just, I, we just want to talk to you. I said, well, does it take six people to talk to me or does it just take one person to talk to me? And he said, I understand, man. Let's, can you give me about 10 to 15 minutes so we can walk the track? And I said, if it's you, yeah, we can walk and we can talk. By the way, this guy's name was Omar and he was Turkish and he was a born Muslim in prison. So we walked and talked. And subhanAllah, you know, something that is amazing is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to guide somebody, <clears throat> he puts people in our lives or situation, situations in our life that are exactly what we need to hear, that call to our souls and our natural fitrah. <clears throat> so as we walked around the track, <clears throat> excuse me, so as we walked around the track, he, he told me I had always been fascinated with the universe, with uh, creation, with nature. You know, I'm Norwegian American, so I love to hike. I love the mountains. I love nature. And the first thing he said to me is, what do you know about Islam? And I said, you're going to have to say that in English because I don't know. Well, what is Islam? Islam, what is that? What, how do you say it in English? 
he said, dude, it's Islam, it's a religion. Like you, you've never heard of Islam. I said, no. So, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit and he said, you know, isn't it amazing how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our creator had put the, the sun 93 million miles away from earth and the moon 200,000 200, odd miles away. And yet he puts them together out of the vastness of the whole universe. Allah put them together in an eclipse. And I just thought, this guy is deep. This guy is deep. He's coming, you know. And so long story short, him and I always used to, you know, as soon as we came out to the yard, he would look for me and we would talk. We would walk and we would talk. I could notice from my people that they were kind of like, was this, why is this guy hanging out with, with you know, uh, black people and, 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 and this, this Turkish guy with the long mustache? What's going on with this guy? And people used to, hey, man, what's going on, man? Are, what, like, what's going on with you? Why are you, you know? And so I just told him, you know, hey, this guy's telling me about Islam. You know, I'm still a Christian. I'm, you know, whatever. So we used to always talk. And he would ask me about my Christian belief. He destroyed the Trinity very quickly. Um, the sonship of, of Jesus, Isa bin Maryam alayhi salam. He destroyed all of these concepts by using the Bible and the Quran. And that made me mad. Because, how are, dude, I don't, I don't even know you. And you're coming with this religion that I've never heard before, trying to deconstruct everything that I believed in since I was a kid. You're trying to break this down. But in my cell, I would think, but he's doing it pretty successfully. <laughs> it's, I mean, which only made me try harder with the Bible to defend the Bible. And so him and I would, would go back and forth. But every time he would come back with something that was so beautiful, something which was irrefutable, that eventually I really gave up on Christianity. So now I was, I gave up on Christianity totally. And I was looking for something to replace it because I am a man who does believe in God. I've never been an atheist. I just need the right channeling. I need something authentic. So he gave me a Quran that was the, maybe a month later, he gave me the Quran. He said, look, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you this Quran. Take care of it and put it in a clean place and don't read it except if you wash your hands. I was like, okay, this is deep. This is, a, this. he's really respecting his book. Okay. So I opened the Quran and the first surah that I, I opened to was Al-Hakam Al-Takathir. And I thought, that's me. I'm the one who was raised upper, upper white, you know, uh, upper class. I'm the one who's been distracted my whole life. That's me. And so I kept on flipping through and I read Surah Ar-Rahman. That's my favorite surah. I read Surah Ar-Rahman, the whole of it, the entirety. And I just thought, Like what is, what, what's, what's happening in my heart of this, this, like this beautiful book that's, you know, which one of the favors of your Lord will you deny? Which one of the favors of your Lord will you deny? 
which one of the favors of your Lord will you deny? And I said to myself, none of them. I have nothing to say. I won't deny anything, any of the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a Christian, I said this to myself, none of them. The shaitan whispered to me. As I was reading the Quran and I went back to the, to the index <clears throat> and I started looking for names. Jesus, Moses, Abraham, Jonah. And I said, oh, I thought this book was going to be different, but it's just like the Bible. And if it's just like the Bible, there's going to be contradictions as well. You know, but Alhamdulillah, as, as, as uh, Omar and I talked, and I and I read the Quran and Quran even more. It just it just proved itself even more. He was like, "Look, bro, this Quran is revealed in the language. It stays in the language in which it was revealed. Nobody can change it. Not even a letter. Not even a meaning. Um, it's authenticated." And that put all of my concerns to bed, basically. About two months after that, and this is where the real change started happening. So at the moment, at that moment, I was, I, I liked Islam. I did. I didn't let anybody know that because I don't know why, but you know, I, I didn't let anybody know that. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was ego. I, I don't know what it is, was. So he came to me in the yard and he said, look, man, <clears throat> How about you, how about we invite you to Juma? It's happening this Friday. You could be there. Um, you can see everything. You could talk with the other brothers and see how we do it. I said, sure. Okay. So I was a Christian still. <clears throat> and here I am going to my first Juma. So I show up, and by the way, it's a multi-purpose room. People ask me, was there a masjid in prison? No, uh, it's, it's, it's just a multi-purpose room. So the first thing that happens is I go inside and I hear the adhan. And the brother was, was, the brother was really making the adhan. And it's the first time that I heard the adhan. And, in, and, and I just stopped. And I just took it all in. And I liken it to, I called it a song. I, I, I asked Omar, what is this beautiful song that this brother is singing? He said, it's, it's not a song. It's, he's calling people to, people to prayer. You know? And I thought to myself, that's, that's impressive. And the Adhan just, it hit me, man. It really, really hit me hard. It's almost as if I've always heard it. It's as if I heard it thousands of years ago before I was even born. I don't know how to explain it, but it felt like a homecoming almost of, of, of the soul, of the heart. So he said, okay, let me show you how we make wudu. And he started making wudu. And I said, why do, why do you make wudu? Why? Why do you do this? He said, we do this before we pray every time. We do this uh, before Juma, because we want to purify ourselves. <clears throat> and I thought, wow, 
These people call each other the prayer. These people wash themselves before they worship God. In Christianity, we, we don't have that. You could you know, be intimate with your wife and go to church like it's all good. <clears throat> I'm not saying that Christians are unclean, but I was impressed with, with the, the respect that they gave through to the holy place in which they were going. So that impressed me. So the Adhan impressed me, the, the, uh, the uh, Wudu impressed me. So we came into the main prayer hall. And he said, okay, check this out. Basically what's gonna happen is we're going to sit down in rows. There's going to be the Imam in the front. He's going to give the khutbah. He's gonna give a sermon. It's just like Sunday church. I said, okay. And then afterwards, he's going to stand up and lead the prayer. He's going to recite the Quran. And I, I asked him, I said, well, wait a minute. He's going to, like, how does he pray? Does he open the book and he, he reads it to us or, or what? He said, no, this, this imam that's leading us in prayer has memorized the Quran and he will just recite it from his memory. I said, Omar, come on, man. That book that you gave me, this thick, he memorized this book. Come on, bro. It's ridiculous. He said, not only, not only him, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Muslims that have memorized the Quran since it was revealed until today. It, will re it, was, it was memorized 1,400 years ago. It is memorized now. It will be memorized 1,000 years from now. It is, is a preserved book. And I was just like, whoa, whoa. They're calling each other to prayer. They're washing themselves. They're reciting the book, the holy book in which they memorized. Wow, I was impressed. I was impressed big time. So the time for prayer came and they all stood up. Oh, these are, these are big boys. These are big boys, you know, six foot two, muscle bound, fit guys, man. But when they all lined up, so Omar told me, just just sit over to the side. We're gonna pray, and then afterwards we'll talk. But you know, just sit over here. I said, okay, fine. And so they all lined up. Imam says, Allahu Akbar. As soon as he said that, I stood up. I'm here for the whole experience. I want to see everything. If I came to Juma, it means that I've committed to taking in the whole experience. So <laughs> I went to the first row beside all the Muslims, and I saw that you know these 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 men, these lions. As soon as the Imam pronounced Allahu Akbar takbir al-ihram, they all became. They all became became humble in front of their Lord. And although Omar told me to sit on the side and wait for them to pray, I went to the front row and I did one of these. <laughs> I just, uh, I wanted to see, I was curious. I, I looked in the front row because I wanted to look at their faces. I wanted to see the whole experience. And subhanAllah, they were so 
they were humbled in front of their Lord. But if anybody wants to ask Ali, what was, what was the point and where it pushed you over? What was the point where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened your heart? I'll tell you, it wasn't until all of these Muslims, and I'm, I'm a Christian watching them, it wasn't until I saw all of these brothers make sujood. That's what did it. That's what did it right there for me. When I saw them going to sujood altogether, I just, it, it took my breath away. I just, wow. These, I, it, I have never seen worship of God until today. They have called each other to the prayer. They have made wudu. They had purified themselves. They had recited the Holy Quran. And then they have become humble in their prayer and put their face on the ground and complete adoration of their Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh, Islam is irresistible for me at this point. Completely irresistible. I have to have it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened my heart in that moment. So, you know, assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, they taslimed out. And so Omar, unbeknownst to him, he comes up to me and he says, uh, so what'd you think? And I said something out of ignorance because like I said, I grew up in a white bubble, upper class bubble. And I said, Omar, let me tell you something, man. I said, come here, man. I pulled him to the side. And I said something out of ignorance. I said, I don't know if white people become can become Muslim, but I'm not leaving here until you tell me a way into Islam. You have to make an exception for me because I'm going to become a Muslim today. And he kind of laughed and all the brothers were like, Allahu Akbar. Subhanallah. So we got in a circle in October 1991, 30 years ago. And I said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahduhu la sharika lah. Wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh. And my life has never been the same since. And I always say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts us in situations, precarious situations and places, so that we can receive Islam. And therefore, prison was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had put had taken that seal from my heart by just watching Muslims, not only knowing their book, but seeing Muslims in action. And that's why I say the way that we behave with each other and in the world around non-Muslims is 100% da'wah. So we really need to be on our P's and Q's. Watch how we talk to people, watch how we represent Islam on a daily basis. And that's not exclusive to non-Muslims. How do our kids see us? How do our wives see us? How does our family see us? How does our non-Muslim mother and father see 
what Islam has done in our lives. It's very important. So in a nutshell, that's, that's how I became Muslim. MashaAllah, bro. Allahumma barik. That's beautiful. MashaAllah. I wanted to, I wanted to say, like, I, I don't know what it is, man. I think for reverts, Surah Rahman is just, it, it hits different. And, you know, Allah knows best, but for some reason, every single revert that I've talked to or that, you know, I've watched a video or something about, they always make reference to Surah Rahman. So there's got to be something there. Yeah, agreed. MashaAllah. MashaAllah, bro. We've everybody's had, we've had a, everybody's know, looking for that mercy. That's why. Hundred. We live in a world that there is no mercy, so people are starving for mercy. And so when they read this, the surah, it's like, ah, it's like drinking, taking a cold drink of water yeah. after you've been mm. lost in the desert all your life. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. Fired. Uh, move the mic down just a little bit. Yeah. Is that better? <laughs> Bro, uh, it's, a, really, it's really loud, but I it's mean, really loud, bro. We've had a couple voice. dozen people, you know, that reverts sharing the story on the channel thus far. But I must say, man, brother Ali's story has been so captivating. I literally felt like I was in it for the journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say, man, it's it's hard to top that, honestly. Alhamdulillah, subhanallah. And by the way, side note, you're an amazing storyteller. May Allah bless you and elevate you. And that's one of the most powerful abilities, bro. And it's beautiful, subhanAllah. So when it comes to Surah Ar-Rahman, you know, I remember hearing once something that was so, so eye-opening, subhanAllah. Uh, and it was basically that, so you know when you guys, you know, you get mad and the anger motivates you. You know, someone says like, oh, I know you couldn't do it. It's like, oh, you're going to see, you're going to see I can do it. You know, anger is not actually the greatest motivator, although it might feel like it. The greatest motivator is actually gratitude. When you're grateful, that's what motivates you the most. So Surah Ar-Rahman is just reminding you of all the things you need to be grateful for. And the beautiful ayat you recited, or you mentioned, which of the favors of your Lord will you deny? SubhanAllah. At that point, you know everyone's answer should be what your answer was. None. Mm. I have nothing to deny. I have nothing to be ungrateful for. SubhanAllah. And it's really motivating. It's really moving. And that's why we're reminded to be grateful, not just to Allah, but to the people. As the Prophet ﷺ, he said, whoever is not grateful to people is not grateful to Allah. Whoever is ungrateful to the people is ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And subhanAllah, we don't have long, so I really want to get more, inshaAllah, about this beautiful story. So my first question is, how would you say, and I understand it's going to be a lot, but how would you say Islam has changed your life after you accepted it? What change about you and your life <clears throat> what changed me most i would say accountability knowing that it's not so easy just to say jesus died for my sins i can do whatever i want no what i say what i do in my life from one moment to the next is held accountable on Yom Al-Azim. I would say accountability. Christianity is go for what you know, make it up as you go along. Uh, all of these Christians, so-called Christians are, all of them, mujtahideen, 
they open up a Bible and they think, yeah, I'm a mujtahid now. I'm going to make a tafsir of the, of the Bible. And it has no compass where Islam has, and our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has an answer for everything. The Quran and the Sunnah is the best self-help book, if I could refer to it that way, that's out there. It's the bestseller. It's the history's bestseller. The Quran and the Sunnah. So that's why I say Christians. I don't mean to bust on Christians, but they are the most miskeen people on the planet Earth. They, their book is not authenticated. They have no sunnah at all. They have no fiqh. And their aqidah is Jesus died for your sins. I, I don't understand why people are still Christian. It, it, to this day, it amazes me. But I would say that Islam calls to account everybody personally for what they do, how they act. So, yeah. Well, I remember, I remember when I was Christian. Um, I was in my fiance's house, and I remember I had read something about um, the time in which Jesus had uh, disappeared. And I, 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 if I remember correctly, they called this like the the golden years or something like that. Where once he came back, then it's like, now nah, he was God, supposedly, so for Allah. But now he was like the Almighty at that point, and that's like. I was trying to look up. I was, you know, like I'm pretty curious. Like, what happened during this time? Like, what, what caused him to get to this state? You know, the prophethood that we know of now. Yeah. And I remember I was in the living room, just like looking on the the TV. They had one of those smart TVs, so I'm just like looking, looking at random YouTube videos, seeing if I could find anything. Looking on my phone, I have the the laptop next to me. I'm like just researching, and I was there for like maybe four or five hours. And like they were trying to get me to do things, I was like, no, 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 like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find something right now. I was like really focused, just hyper focusing. And then I remember her mom came in after like four or five hours, and she's like, well, "What are you doing? Like, why, why have you not, you know, like done anything with us? You've just been here, and it, it looks like you haven't made any progress. You're just in the same place." I'm like, "Well, I'll tell you what, like, I found this out, and I'm trying to figure out like what happened during this time frame because I feel like the insight." the value that could come from this could potentially change someone's life. I mean, like if, if what Jesus peace be upon him, if what he went through allowed him to get to this point, like imagine what that could do for just a layman, just a normal person. And when I right. told her this, she's like, Oh, why does that matter? I'm like, what? Like, how, how does that not matter? Like exactly. that's the most important thing. I don't know, man. It's just, it's like you said, uh, Christians, they, you know, Jesus died for my sins. That's all that matters. I don't need to do anything okay. else. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot, man. It's fun a lot. I feel like I have a million questions to ask. Uh, I don't even know where to begin, uh, to be completely honest. Uh, I did want to touch on something that was mentioned before um, before you told the story, if I can remember it. It's a lot. Man, I remember it for a second, then it disappeared again. Yeah, I got a question too, bro. Well, you try to remember. Go for it. So, Wait. brother Ali, if you don't mind me asking, after sure. you reverted, I'm assuming because you mentioned you've been Muslim for 30 years, I I don't assume any of your kids are over the age of 30. No. So all of them were born into Islam. All of them. Okay. So my question to you is, how would you? putting, you know, guiding them to Islam, teaching them Islam, how would that have changed had some of them been born before your reversion? 
That's a good question. That's a difficult question. I don't think it would be different at all because I would teach my kids regardless if they came or they were born into Islam or they weren't. It might be more difficult, but at the same time, like I said, it's all about how if, if people see the Islam inside of you, you know, like when I was in prison, I saw the Islam of the Muslims, you know, so I, I don't really think it makes any difference um, whether a child is born in Islam or not born in Islam. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to guide you, nobody can, That's nobody right. can stop it. Yeah. So, Facts. you know what I mean? So this being mm. said, like, how did you raise your kids and what advice do you have to mothers and fathers out here, having been someone that's gone through the hoops? Oh, my God. Ask, ask the, test the belief of your kids. If their answers are unsatisfactory, it's your fault. It's your, don't blame it on anybody. Don't try to drop your kid off at the Saturday, you know, duksi or madrasa or whatever. No, that's your fault. You are the ones that, you know, the, the mother and the father that were supposed to raise them. So I always say <clears throat> the most important thing for me for beginning Muslims or people that are coming back to Islam, they're born Muslim, rectify your belief. Aqidah, aqidah, aqidah. It's all about aqidah. Once you have that straight, then you build up from the floor up. Um, be very well versed about who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, <clears throat> what is impossible for him, what is, you know, the whole aqidah. Um, teach your kids aqidah. I would say to challenge their belief and ask them, why are you a Muslim? You're going to get a lot of surprising answers because you are, dad. Well, then we're back to like the pagan pre-Islamic pagans that say, you know, we worship because we, we found our fathers doing this. That's the only reason that they were worshiping idols is because we found our fathers doing this. This is who we are. But the thing, the thing is when you're a Muslim and you ask a Muslim child, why are you a Muslim? And he's going to say the same thing, but I'm sorry, that's not good enough hmm. because a little boy or a little girl, you know, seven years old, 12 years old, 20 years old, can have nothing in their heart of Islam. They're jumping through the hoops. So how do we, how do we rectify that? This is my advice. Other than challenging the, the belief of your uh, uh, kids, and if you get an answer which is unsatisfactory, you have to teach them. Other than that, something that is vital and not happening in some white families, African-American families, and immigrant families, and all of our families, is the ability of our, us as parents to listen to our kids. You have to take their spiritual temperature often. You have to be open to your son or your daughter saying, Dad, I don't want to, I don't want to um, cause you any pain. I don't, I don't want to offend you, but I have some doubts about Islam. I have a What does this mean? I saw this on the YouTube, on YouTube and on the internet, and I don't understand it. Usually our answer is, what? Astaghfirullah. Well, how could you? What? What do you mean you have doubts in Islam? How dare you? you okay, that's it. I'm sending you back to Pakistan, Bangladesh, <laughs> Saudi Arabia, Yemen. 
you're going back home. <laughs> they have doubts because you didn't remedy their doubts. They have doubts because you didn't teach them proper Islam. It didn't come from them. It came from you. So as parents, we really have to be open to what our kids say. Dad, why does it say in Islam we can't have girlfriends? Do you have the answer? Do you have the temperament to be patient with your kids to answer those questions? There's going to be a lot of questions that my kids have asked, asked me that I've just been like, oh, my God, my kids are growing up. I don't want to deal with this. But, hey, welcome to fatherhood. Welcome to fatherhood. These are your kids. Would you rather them feel more comfortable speaking to you about real difficult taboo issues or would you rather them go to their friends and go to the internet to get the wrong answer? They trust you. You're the one. You're the one that raised them. You're the one that's supposed to give them their answers. Period. Mm, subhanAllah. You know, that was exactly what I was going to say when I said that. I had something to mention and I forgot it. That was literally exactly the point I was going to mention. So, barakallah fikma. Allah bless you for it. SubhanAllah. Allah he mentions in the Quran, Antum wa you and your forefathers, or he narrates Ibrahim I'm saying that to his his people and his father. You and your forefathers were worshipping these idols and so on and so forth. SubhanAllah. But what what would make it different for a Muslim if they said, you know, what, what Brother Ali mentioned? Allah subhanahu will accept someone's Islam based on their fitrah. He will accept someone's Islam based on them being convinced that Islam is the truth on the evidence and having iman but will allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it based on some kind of speculation or based on hey my you know family was muslim so now i'm a muslim allahu adam my bad guys time to pray <laughs> soon Zuhur over there Juma. yeah 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 believe it or not that's actually just my alarm clock <laughs> but god is coming up soon inshallah I have a question, bro. bro. So you said before you went to prison, you were doing what you were doing because you were trying to just feel something. You felt like you were just, you said, you, you said spiritually bankrupt. You said another thing as well. But it's, for lack of better words, it's like you were empty inside. You were trying to feel something. Oh, well, My question to you is, do you feel like this is the state of every human being when they don't have Allah, when they don't have like that clear course, that clear direction. <clears throat> what a beautiful question. And the answer is yes. Especially Christians, your average day American, British person, European person, Chinese, whoever. Islam is definitely the only solution to everyday Islam teaches you how to be a human and I know that's going to sound weird or harsh to a lot of non-Muslims watching this but me being a Christian and now being a Muslim for 30 years of my life it really does teach you how to Islam is a very human religion uh, even in fiqh we have so many dispensations uh, that we can have uh, to make life easier, you know, fasting is, 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 is not observed by the old man, by the pregnant woman, the breastfeeding woman, 
it's it's very human you, you get what i'm saying mm-hmm. so when people experience islam if they would experience islam if they would open their hearts to islam instead of getting their uh <clears throat> information or knowledge from people like david wood and you know uh, christian prince i don't even want to say his name cp you know jokers like this they haven't even tasted Islam. They haven't even approached Islam yet. And that's mm-hmm. our job to do that, to, to, you know, give Islam to the people. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think people are really empty. I, I often wonder why people are Christian, you know, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he's, he's the one who gives hidayah, not me. All we can do is, is our best. But yeah, people are really, especially not only Christianity or Judaism or Islam, you know, the media and our schools are not teaching spirituality. They're teaching lower desires. Give in to your lower desires. Everything is okay. Let's tolerate everything. Everything goes. But somehow Christianity and Judaism and Islam is, is pushed out of the way. So uh, we're, we're really in a strange time. Mm, yeah. I agree, bro. I agree 100%. And uh, I do think that everyone is empty. I just want to hear your thoughts on it. Because before I came to Islam, man, um, I was empty. I felt the void. I I was doing anything just to feel something. But I was jumping out of planes, doing skydiving. I was on my motorcycle going like 150 miles per hour in like a 25 zone. I was over here in my car. And like, you know, like when you're about to turn left, like the light's green. You can turn left, but you got to wait until like there's no cars coming. I would wait until the cars were like right there and then I would go just as fast as possible to where it's like the cars were right there about to hit me. I did anything I just feeling. to feel something. Bro, I would go on the highway. I would get a rental car, go on the highway and just be busting like 100, 120, just going boom, 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 just in and out of cars just to feel something, bro. I would yeah. fight just to feel something. So it's like, this is why I asked, man, because it's interesting to see like when someone else says like, yo, yeah, I did something very similar because I felt empty. It's almost like the heart is rebelling. The heart is, is not getting what it's, what it wants. So it's trying to get that, 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 uh, your heart pumping, you know, when you're doing 130 on a motorcycle, you know, just lay down and going through the gears. Yeah. It's it's stressing out. It's, it's like, okay, it's got it. Life has got to be more than this. Come on. That's true. Totally true. Yeah. Mm. 100%. It's crazy. SubhanAllah, man. Yo, I feel like, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure the other two brothers can agree, but I feel like I could talk to you all day, man. We definitely have to get you back on the podcast. Guys, if you made it this far, smash that like button. Go over to YouTube, search up Maliki, click. Links in the description down below. Subscribe, show the brother some love. He deserves it. And he's doing wonderful work. So may Allah bless you for that. And continue to add us all to the straight path. I mean, around me, bro. We got Jumma coming up, so I say we wrap this up. Yeah, all right, let's do it. Jazakallah khair. May Allah bless everyone who attended and bless Brother Ali for the beautiful story, mashaAllah. Honestly, that impacted me more than words can explain. Uh, so alhamdulillah, ya Rabb. And with that Thanks being for said, having me and thanks for the opportunity. I'm at the service of the Ummah anytime, Habibi. anywhere. Habibi, jazakallah khair. Alhamdulillah, all this from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And with that being said, Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa kina adhab al-nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi. وبركاته عليكم السلام ورحمه الله وبركاته